My extra special guest this week is Adrian Talbot, the CFO of Hotwire PR. And if you are interested in such things as preparing agencies for sale, growing internationally, growing and maintaining a culture of a 300-person agency, then this is the podcast for you. Adrian was part of the management team, which has grown Hotwire from 100 to 300 people since 2016. And he's seen them win such prestigious awards as Global Tech Agency of the Year, among many other notable awards, Best Places to Work Awards. It's really unreal. Adrian has had just an amazing career from transport, hospitality, television, and now marketing and advertising. He's tremendously knowledgeable about what it takes to grow an agency, what it takes to invest in culture and deliver results for some of the biggest tech brands in the world. They won Zoom as a client in Feb 2020, a challenging time to say the least in the in the height of the pandemic. Um, and they've been with them ever ever since. It, it's, an, it's a remarkable story, which he talks about. He, he started a global brand inside Hotwire called the Borderless Thinkers. And it's a collection of employees with any sort of talent you can speak of, right? Whether they can sing, whether they can play an instrument, Adrian is all over them from their interview. And he gets them to join the band and they record some great songs. I've, I've seen the videos. It's, it's really, um, it's fantastic to see that they, they look like they're having just so much fun. You got to check them out online. We'll put a link to some of the videos in the bio. They've won, as I said, so many best places to work awards. Their culture is really unreal. We, we go really deep into the weeds about what it takes to build a fantastic culture that scales internationally. I don't know any other CFO of a major business who does anything even remotely similar to what Adrian does. I, I strongly recommend listening to this interview twice as there's so much to unpack here. Um, I'm just going to stop babbling now and selling and just say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Adrian Talbot. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, let's jump in. My extra special guest this week is Adrian Talbot, the CFO of Hotwire Global. He has functioned as an FD, CFO, and COO for over 20 years, and for 15 years has experienced leading finance and operations teams in media, professional services, and for some of the biggest agencies around. He was part of the team responsible for growing Hotwire from 150 to 300 people and has been named CFO of the Year and International CFO of the Year by the FD's Excellence Awards. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Adrian Talbot, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Nathan, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You've got an amazing CV and, and history. Let's, let's start there before we get into the specifics of the agency. So you get your degree from Imperial College in maths in 1988. What were the career options that you considered for yourself at that time? Well, I think um, the people on mathematics at Imperial were a lot were getting headhunted by investment banks to go off and do clever statistical things. Many were using statistics to become actuaries. 
I went for accountancy mostly because I didn't really have a clue what to do and saw it as a general business qualification that would keep my options open. And that was really as much thought as I put into it at that stage, uh, keeping my options open and seeing where it led to. But I mean, accountants can go in so many different directions that I, I knew it was a fairly safe bet what I was doing. Definitely. You, you've held a string of really senior roles at TFL, Hilton, UBM, ITV and, and BBH. What were the most notable takeaways from those experiences and how did that help to form your philosophy of business and I guess what the role of a world-class CFO should do? Yeah, I mean, you could say I've been all over the place. I mean, I think I, at one point I... I didn't want to say that. But... I've worked, I've, I know, and I would be, you're too polite, but I think I've worked out 20 different countries for at least two weeks. So through an auditing career, which took me through Transport for London, which, well, I kept me in London, but um, Hilton that took me all over the place, and then in United Business Media. So I saw a lot of global experience across the world and saw the value of culture mostly and the businesses which invested in culture and I was always struck perhaps first in my days at Hilton that the further you went away from the UK the friendlier the welcome and you would find the the guy working in the loading bay in the Nairobi Hilton or Caracas would have been there for 20 years doing the same job Hmm. and the concept of culture carriers which I think in businesses there are certain employees and you look at them and they've been there a while and they carry your culture for you um, Victor, who is the guy that greets you at BBH in Kingley Street in London, they put him in the creds deck because Victor knows every client by name, every employee by name. Amazing. I know if I went past there tomorrow, he will remember me. So the businesses who concentrate on culture and invest in it, from my perspective, I could see that globally that was making a difference. The second part, Nathan, is probably empowerment which I saw first at United Business Media. So I went in there into the audit team just after they bought Express Newspapers. And at the time, United owned everything in media. They owned IT, you know, third of ITV. They had Express, they had Exchange and Mart. They had tons of different business units, but the, they really empowered their people. So I always felt empowered to express my opinions and help to drive the business forward. So culture and empowerment. And if you come to your finance point, I have always been a very revenue focused, let's put it like that, a revenue focused CFO. So I've always been fascinated by clients, how businesses earn revenue through my career. You know, I audited the revenue on Transport for London. I ran around London with cash in hotels, trying to see what happened when I tried to pay for rooms in cash. I worked on, in my, in my year at BBH, I was a commercial director for a, for a year when they won Tesco and, and, you know, we took that from zero to 10 million in six months. And so my philosophy has always been as a finance business partner, you will be more successful if you get out of the corner from the spreadsheet, engage with the people in the business, get to know clients and influence the business that way. So I'm going to get into all of that by the way, as far as culture and empowerment is concerned with, with Hotwire. But first, let's set the scene for everyone listening. I know many people listening have, have, are familiar with Hotwire, have, have heard of Hotwire. Um, lay out the business as it stands today. Uh, service offerings, employees, clients, revenue locations. Just, just give us a sense of what the Hotwire business looks like today, and then we'll talk about the specifics of the business. 
Yeah, sure. So Hotwire celebrated its 20th anniversary last year. So Hotwire is ruthlessly focused on technology. So we are, you know, a technology um, agency and we're setting out to be the preeminent global technology consultancy. We are in uh, seven countries. So East and West Coast, USA, UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy and Australia. And we have nine offices. We have two offices in Germany. We also have a very extensive affiliate network, so we can represent clients in over 20 countries if they want to. We have broad mix of services, so an integrated offering. So there's traditional media relations and communications. More recently, we've added account-based marketing, digital work. So we're, we're aiming for maybe 30% of our services to be non-traditional public relations, if that makes sense to you. And in terms of clients, I mean, we work with many famous technology clients that as a consumer you would be aware of businesses like McAfee that we've worked with for years we also work for many you've not heard of so you know many of the you know data storage or you know businesses at the the back end um, we do a lot of fintech work uh, client I'm involved with Eaton we work within 26 countries so we are a, we've always been a challenger brand so if a client is seeking to, let's say, swerve some of the bigger agencies, then we're there ready to, for our size, our global footprint is quite impressive. And our heritage in tech is really strong, which gives us a, you know, a great advantage. That's really interesting, because I've always known Hotwire as sort of traditional PR, but, you know, maybe my my view is is um, outdated. I haven't, I haven't kept up with how the business has evolved and changed. And I think a lot of people probably would sort of know Hotwire as a, a PR agency, but it's interesting to hear you say that your thirty percent of the business is now non-traditional PR. Could you could you maybe just expand on that? Yes, if you look at um, services such as account-based marketing, um, I mean maybe we, we can talk it through the podcast. But we purchased McDonald Butler this year, which um, has you know been involved in account-based marketing for the last fifteen to twenty years. And combining that with our traditional services, we are finding our clients are really interested in, we call it from reputation to revenue. So, you know, we can work on a client's reputation in the media and in the marketplace. And we can help them build relationships with their customers through account-based marketing skills. And that leads to additional revenue and return on investment. And so clients are increasingly they're interested, you know, there are still clients that are interested in, you know, yes, we got you 100 media clippings last month, but many, many more are looking to return on investment and what is this spend doing for us and how is it driving our business and how is it hitting our KPIs? Hmm. And that's, you know, that's a change in the in in the marketplace. And I think too, Nathan, you know, the technology area is always developing. So, you know, it is one of the reasons I came into Hotwire that it's so fast moving and dynamic that the, you know, our business is constantly changing and evolving. So, so from reputation to revenue, I I love that as a as as a positioning statement. So, so talk about then who are the agencies that you see in your competitive set and what makes Hotwire stand out from them? I think you mentioned a couple of sort of larger, um, maybe network agencies or sort of larger agencies. Who who do you see as your direct competitors here and, and and what makes you different well it really varies Nathan so we can compete on you know on a good day we can compete against the best in any class you know so for example you know we have worked on some IPOs in the USA um, and you know you, you traditionally have seen a financial PR agency taking the lead on that we can we can do a lot of that work 
because of the technology skills and knowledge we have. We can compete against the bigger agencies on global work where, um, you know, they might have they might have 26 offices around the world. Um, we have nine and we have 17 affiliates that were just as good as our people in you know, the London. So we can compete on the bigger guys on that stage. We then are also competing in specialist niche areas. So, you know, we will be competing with technology agencies in country that are similar size to us. So we we are global and local. So if you went to France, we've long been in a market position there where we're invited to every pitch. In Spain, we've just gone into the top 20 local agencies. So we have a local presence where we can win competitive local business and a global one where we can compete against the bigger agencies because of our footprint, our agility and the people that we have. So you, you joined Hotwire in 2016 and, and soon after you started winning a string of awards. So 2019, you won PR Week, Best Places to Work, Global Technology Agency of the Year in 2020, 2021, Sabre EMEA Technology Consultancy of the Year. Uh, and in 2021, again, the UK's top 100 small businesses to work for, um, you you were top of that list. It's an incredible string of achievements uh, in such a short period of time. And incidentally, it coincided with when you joined the company. Is there a, is there a link there? Is that <laughs> causal? Yeah, to me. I mean, obviously, um, <laughs> I didn't win anything until I, until I turned up, Nathan. Um, right. And you've actually missed three cans lions off that list as well for our work with Uniland and illegal bud banks, um, where we changed the law. How did I do um, that? So, so I think. <laughs> well, I think yes. There's, there's only, maybe, only maybe just two a or small, two or three hundred right. other people involved. Um, I think let's think about. I mean, I think the. I feel we were three years ahead of the world going into COVID. So, we have been doing a lot of things. Um, some practical examples: we've been on Zoom and Slack since 2016. We have been working remotely since 2016. Uh, so we didn't miss a heartbeat in March 2020 when we sent everybody home. We had everything in the cloud and we were, you know, just in a very strong position culturally as well. Ottawa has been spending a lot of money on an annual boot camp for 20 years where we bring all our people together in one place for, for three days. We invest in in training and, and a lot in, in culture. And I think all of that really has come on come home to roost in, in, in recent years in terms of the, the rest of the world recognizing what we've been doing, our work with Zoom through the pandemic that perhaps we can talk about later. And you know, winning a EMEA Technology Consultancy of the Year is representing the breadth of services. I mean we acquired Eastwick in 2016. So when I joined it was 150 people and, and we acquired Eastwick, which built out our US presence. And ever since we did that, we had a lot of clients in Europe saying if only you had a West Coast presence. We'd give you our global business. And similarly, on the US side, they had clients saying we want global presence. So once we did that part of the footprint, I mean, when I joined, I think we had 15 people in the US and now it's more like 85. So that was a big strategic shift in the business at the point I joined and has driven a lot of the growth elsewhere. But we have worked really hard. You know, we work really hard on our culture. We really try. We do staff surveys and we listen to them and we act on them. We do client surveys. We listen. And let's just say that hasn't happened every agency I've worked in. So a combination of the unique bringing together of two businesses five years ago and a lot of hard work and a strong culture and the rest of the world finally sitting up and noticing and saying, right, here you go. Here's the awards you you deserve. 
Yeah, really fascinating. So you mentioned culture a few times there, and I, I want to get into the specifics of sort of how you built that culture and sort of what that looks like today. But you were part of the management team that, that grew the business from 150 people, as you mentioned in the intro, to now 300 plus people in you know roughly about six years. Talk about the biggest lessons and takeaways that you've had from that experience of growing the business quite quickly over that period of time while still maintaining the culture and doing that across um, across the globe, you know, seven countries, nine offices, et cetera? Yeah, I think there's a unique, hotbrizingly unique position. So we are owned by Anero, which is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, who are an incredibly supportive parent company who give us the entrepreneurial freedom to behave as if we're privately owned. And I say that from a perspective that I've worked in publicists, WPP, I've worked in privately owned agencies. And, you know, we don't have the oppressive Sarbanes-Oxley regime that some of the bigger agencies have. So, you know, the finance teams there spend all day completing traffic light reports instead of supporting clients and driving the business. So the unique positioning really helps an entrepreneur and, and entrepreneurial environment. So Anybody in Hotwire can have an idea and be allowed to develop it and will not be squashed by a management team saying, you know, get back in your box. So so that sort of positioning helps. Our values, so many, many organizations talk about their values. We talk about them and we hire to them. So, you know, values of transparency, one team, ambitious, proactive. The people you look at in Hotwire who are succeeding are demonstrating those values um, and always pushing the edges. And I think having values and hiring to them and consistently measuring against them means you know you're all going in the same direction we also have speed of execution so we're quite agile so you know we've got a lot of ideas that that happen and the other thing across the last five years is that when we bought um acquired eastwick better word in november 16 we, we had it, i went i was suddenly in a boardroom which was half us half uk um male female balance um you know, we'd bought Barbara Bates's business, which she had run, you know, for, for 20 years um, privately. So we had this, she was taking on a global role. We had people like me that were experienced in global roles. So we had this unique board, which I still enjoy working in today, which is a very healthy challenge to each other and constantly pushing things ahead. And we also had in Hotwire unique things like bootcamp, spending money that other organizations would not to bring people together in one location around the world to spend time together, to get to know each other. Um, Every office in Hotwire is led by a woman. And I actually think, you know, that's a competitive advantage and has meant, you know, it's felt different to other agencies I've, I've worked in. Uh, So, you know, I think I've thrown a lot of stuff at you there, but it, but it sort of, it's like a chemistry or a mix of all of that has, has, has led to the success um, through, you know, all of the above, really. You said speed of execution is something that you excel on. How do you guys make decisions, important decisions? Um, Decision-making is is crucial um, in any agency, especially um, an agency your size, when you're making kind of big strategic bets. What's your approach to kind of decision-making and making enough of the right decisions that will get you to where you're trying to get to? 
So we'll be setting the strategy net. We have spent an inordinate amount of time refining our strategy. You know, we've just finished one three-year plan and we've got the next one. I mean, as an accountant, I have sat in meetings looking at values wheels on the wall with adjectives being changed every 30 seconds, which drove me nuts. <laughs> I have watched as our current value proposition was pain, you know, painfully developed word by word with the meaning behind every word. But the I'm talking in jest, you know, sitting watching that and watching my fellow, you know, board colleagues doing what we do to clients on ourselves and saying, okay, we're going to be the global preeminent consultancy. Every word in that was developed very carefully. And then we cascade that through the organization. So, you know, our strategy, we've put it into pillars. And under those pillars, we're now aligning those strategic objectives to individuals' objectives and key results. OKRs is um, you know, famously developed in Google days. So we're trying to really put the time into the strategy and then deliver it by putting it deep into the organization and making sure that everybody is aligned in terms of what we're going. So I think compared to other places I've worked, the amount of time we've put into really thinking about strategy and having three-year plans and then sticking to them means that you're, you know, you're not veering off path so much um, or going with the trend. You know you set a path and you're sticking to it. You've grown through acquisition largely in, in the last few years. You mentioned Eastwick. Um, I know that you were involved in the acquisition of uh, McDonald Butler as well this year. Tell us what goes into your thinking about which agencies you should bring into the fold. Uh, what does that process look like for you guys? Well, I think you can come at it in a number of ways. So you can think geographically and you know, you can look at where you have a presence and, you know, can that presence be bigger? Should it be, you know, do you add services in a particular country or do you open another city? You know, we've popped up in cities, we, we've popped up in Mexico, we've popped up in different places as a trial to see, you know, if 18 months in, we popped up in Minneapolis and we're still there. So, you know, strategy of, popping up for a while to see if something worked and if there was a presence. That's a very uh, Silicon Valley sort of sort of tech entrepreneurial way of of uh, of doing things, right? It's, it's yeah. almost like a very lean startup. Um, you know, what kind of small bets can we have um, in a particular geo? Let's see if, see if it works. I, I love that approach. Yeah, I think it, it is interesting. You're right. It does come from there, but it also means you, you know, you give yourself 18 months to see if something succeeds and if it doesn't, you move on. And I think the, if you come to the, the sort of original, your, your original question around deciding on targets, I mean, we, we started looking at, um, mostly building out the services offering and thinking around account-based marketing and channel and alliances in that area. And McDonald Butler were from day one, mass, you know, Mike and Maeve, identified Mike and Maeve have been trying to bridge the gap between sales and marketing for the last 20 years and really impressive individuals in terms of what the business they built and they were looking for the next stage for them and, and where they developed and same with Eastwick when we met them the cultural again I sorry I keep coming back to it but the, it just it just you know it just gelled and if you've got that then you can build everything else off that and we quickly got to to, to like them, like what they offer, and then thought about the reputation to revenue point that in fact, putting those two together, and it's proven to be very compelling to many of our existing hotwire clients to say, okay, you can do that as well. And actually, um, we can see 
how all the work put together delivers a return on investment. But broadly, it's you know, geographic services popping up, trying to think of different ways of doing it. So for those agencies listening that aren't a 300 person sort of sort of agency from a financial point of view explain the main differences between a 30 and 50 person agency to a 100 to 300 person agencies in terms of you know everything from sales and marketing operations innovation just give us a kind of a quick snapshot as to kind of what the differences are there yeah well i think take the 300 of hotwire nathan and you can look at it a different way this is the way i look at it we are, you know, a 10-person agency in Italy. We are a 30-person agency in France, Spain, and Germany. We are a 100-person agency in London and the UK, I'm sorry, in the UK and the US. Now, those are growing point pens in any local agency. So you can, um, if, you, if you look, and, and they're slightly different. So at 100 people agency, you can start to afford um, serious people from big agencies who have done it before, who can say, don't do it like this, do it like that. At 30 people, um, you might be able to afford one or two people who will make a difference to your business. We hired a corporate director in France who's made an immediate difference over the last few years. We've hired individual digital people. So at a 30 level, you can make, can make one hire that makes a difference quite quickly or two. Um, at 100, you can try five hires and see what happens. But but broadly, um, you the main differences between those and, and, and the main differences between those are, you know, at a we're 100 people in London. We are bigger than the technology practice of many of our big named competitors. So, you know, we have more specialism in that 100 people, I would venture. And so you can mix and match. But the main the main differences really are breaking through those points and hiring the people that take you on the next part of the journey, because the people that get you from zero to 30 might not be the same people that get you from 30 to 100. Um, the entrepreneurial spirit that will drive you up to 30 may not take you through to the next stage. Um, you might need people who have worked in the bigger environment to come and say, oh, here's how you do it. Really interesting. You you mentioned, so you've got, um, we know that you've got a presence in uh, the West Coast of America and you say, quote, the West Coast exposure gives you early exposure to the future. Explain. Well, I think the thing to remember is, is a few observations around this. Um, everybody should read John Sopel's book on America. He, I mean, he's just, I think he's just retired as the BBC's correspondent. So I think it's called If Only They Didn't Speak English. But that gives you a, a good um, looking into the American mindset. If you then look to California, which I think has a $3 trillion economy, and if it was a country, it would be the fifth largest in the world, you know, they're doing something right. And you then come to Silicon Valley. And I did, I, I wish I could quote to you, but I did read somewhere else. It's just the sheer dynamic, fast-paced environment there. I mean, when I have interviewed candidates in Silicon Valley for roles, if you look for the last 10 years, they will have done 10 roles. They will have done a role, you know, every 12 months for the last 10 years. And that's normal. If you do that in the UK market, you would think, what's wrong with this person? Yeah. <laughs> Why are they moving around so much? So, you know, the the try and fail and, you know, look at the investors there who just keep cycling money. And failing is not, you know, failing is not failing. It's like, that's fine. That's what you should be doing. You should be trying. And, and so that... Um, if you look at, um, I said to you earlier, you know, when Barbara Betts, our ex-CEO, said to us um, five years ago, we are going to let our people work wherever they want, whenever they want, however they want. I don't care. I just want results for the business. 
I will admit I was one of the people who said, hang on, you, you want to do what? Um, and think of the world now, five years on, um, every business is now grappling with that dilemma, but we solved it four to five years ago. It was painful. The usage of Zoom, when we had started using Zoom five years ago, I did not turn on my camera for six months. <laughs> so um, when I when I did, um, what is Barbara celebrated. And so, so, you, so, you know, Slack, um, when that came along and everybody, I didn't like that either. Um, so, so, you know, but I, I used to say to Barbara in particular and, and, you know, and Heather, who's now taken over as our CEO was, was very closely with Barbara and it's just as dynamic. Um, so just pushing the edges all the time makes the difference. And if you want to be conservative and sit back, well, okay, but you know, that is what you're up against. And we see in, Silicon Valley, we get an early sight of, I'll give you another example. Um, we are now seeing um, RFPs in Silicon Valley insisting on diversity statistics. We are insisting, their clients are insisting on a diverse pitch team. Um, you know, just an example, um, but, you know, what what comes there in, tends to come here a few years later. And if we, you know, we have ridden that and embraced it, and tried to go with the flow and it's proven you know to our commercial advantage the future is here it's just not evenly distributed i'm not yeah. sure who said that but uh, but that's that's <laughs> exactly matter. that's exactly the case right um really interesting so let's talk a little bit i mean you've mentioned culture a few times now and i want to dig into that in a, in a bit more detail um a huge part of that, from what I can see, is your band, the Borderless Thinkers, right? So you set up a band inside the agency called the Borderless Thinkers. Um, I don't know of any other agency that's done that. Um, I've seen the videos. I've seen you guys perform. You're, it's an amazing collective from singers and songwriters and uh, pianists and guitarists and, you know, go down the list, everything uh, every, every sort of, you know, musical discipline is, is covered. Why did you set it up? How does it work? Um, and, and tell us, how does it help the agency? Yeah, it's hard to know, really. I um, I think it was inspired by my year at BBH, who funded a choir, which I sang in, which sang to all staff. But when I got to Hotwire, we I went to the first boot camp in Brussels and somehow it was a great thing, but somehow inside me I came away thinking, oh, we could add music into that. And a year later, just I don't know where it came from, just sitting at lunch with the leadership team, we were talking about the next boot camp and I just said, I'm going to start a band. And they said, okay. And off I went. And I did it in secret at the start and I called it the Borderless Thinkers to align it with um, Hotwire's values. You know, We want our people to think from a borderless basis for our clients. When I called it borderless thinkers, the you know the, the PR professionals scowled at me, but I said I quite like it. Um, and then I, in secret, identified musical talent in all of the offices. And in Barcelona, we we popped up at the evening party. We didn't tell anybody. We got on the stage. There was a piano there. I sat down, and off we went. And since then, I then it became more public. I now recruit ruthlessly. So, Nathan, if there was a guitar sitting behind you on the screen today, I would be asking you. Oh, um, even no, in interviews, I ask people. So, so yeah. what has it done? I mean, it, it's it's one of those creative things that now it's bigger than me. I mean, I I'm the leader, the founder, the idea behind it. But I have created rock stars in individual countries, so people that their colleagues have seen them in a different light. We have created a lot of fun for our colleagues at our boot camps, 
Um, it's slightly mad because we turn up the day before. Remember, we've flown in from all over the world. The last one was in Dublin. We get together the day before in a studio. It's on YouTube if anybody wants to see it. We spend five hours coming up with what can we play together? What can you do? Oh, I can do this. And then the following night, we did a two-hour gig. And our colleagues respond really positively. And the last two years, we've gone virtual. Um, you know, get this, we were due to play in New York um, in, in the summer of 2020 and the pandemic. But we went virtual, and that's a whole other set of things. So now we're finding the people in Hotwire who can edit those videos I sent you. Amazing. And it's it's um it's more it's you know it's a really good thing to have at a party if you've got a band there. Definitely. And we made our own. And I think a lot of people really enjoy it. Ten percent of hotwire is now in my band. So that's another statistic <laughs> I will be trying to increase. Um and you know, you can be in my band if you can sing, dance, play, um, edit the posters, do the marketing for me, anything you want. It's a lot of fun. So there's a there's a role for me with my limited talent. Can you dance? Can you can you dance? Um, um I mean I can move. If you can move, huh? you've got I a chance. Can move. <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? I mean, it just looks as though you guys are having so much fun. Yes. You know, it's really, you know, it's really diverse. So there are people from all over all over the world that are there, all different sort of sort of backgrounds and ethnicities. And I just think um yeah it's it's a great it's a great advert for the agency oh thank you um we'll put some links in the uh in the show notes if anyone wants to wants to have a look um so what have you learned then about creating a successful culture that scales well i think um one of the things if you look through businesses that i've worked in um you know stable senior management really helps if you have um you know chief executive changing every 10 minutes then things get thrown out so i think in all businesses that have a stable senior management culture has a you know great chance of growing and you've got to celebrate it so you you can say you've got a culture but you've got to invest in it so it's hard cash nathan i'm afraid as an accountant if i was a more I am a cost-conscious accountant, but if I was a more cost-conscious one, um, you know, we would not spend what we have done on boot camp. My philosophy is that's, you know, X recruitment fees because we retain people that want to work here because we are different. So hard cash is, is actually a really simple thing behind culture. You cannot say it and not do something about it. And also in a global business, it is respecting global, um, you know, every country is different. Um, I talked to a senior executive from Google once who said to me, you know, you can try and implement stuff you learn in Silicon Valley all over the place, but it may not always succeed. So it has been adapting those ideas into other countries, respectful of their culture. And I think the other thing is that, um, you know, bringing, bringing people together, of having the platforms and the tools. So, you know, we joke about Zoom and Slack, but they have allowed global organizations to get people to connect you know in hotwire there is a slack channel for dogs cats music anything you want but you know the the podcast as well anything so the um you know you got to work at it spend money on it and live it as a management team you got to live it you know the fact that i'm the lunatic cfo that runs the band is different about hotwire i've been allowed to bring my whole self to work um, which is the other way of looking at it, that we, you know, celebrate diversity and allow people to come to work and do what they enjoy. So you talk about, so a couple of things there that I want to, I want to touch on. Um, diversity, first and foremost, I mean, we know that agency land is not as diverse as it necessarily should be or, or, or could be. Um, I know that you guys have taken huge strides in in that direction. Um 
really not only over the last couple of years, as most agencies have, but actually over over a very long period of time. How do you think about that problem at, at, at Hotwire and what can the industry do in general to in, improve things? Yeah, I think we, I mean, we we aim to provide an environment where people can express themselves. I mean, nothing, you know, the pain that our, a lot of our employees felt during Black Lives, Black, Black Lives Matter protests in the US was was real. And diversity and inclusion is more than ticking a box for us. So, you know, we have put in, we thought really carefully about our response to this. So we've been doing a lot of work with people at one-to-one level, but also thought, how can we live this? And so we we developed the Hotwire Ignite Possibility Program, which is committing a million dollars of pro bono time over three years to businesses that are minority-led. And we we asked for applicants, and in fact, we were snowed under in most places, and we've We've, we've picked the first sort of six people. I'll give you an example in, in the UK, it's called Husmus, which is a business that's helping to make the um, the life for people trying to rent a flat more pleasant than it currently is or breaking the boundaries on how that works. Um, so, you know, aligning that and, and allowing, you know, we've also set ourselves 25% of our senior staff to come from a diverse background and 85% of our people feel they belong. So, you know, inclusiveness is is important as well. So a very important um, area for us that we put a lot of time and we're putting real money behind it as well. And we've been really encouraged by the response from the businesses that have approached us, but also from our people who have said, we really want to do this. We feel we are making a difference by taking part. And some of the, I joined the brainstorm and who's most a few weeks ago, they're just really interesting businesses. And if you can apply your thinking and support them, um, you get a lot back. Um, personally and for the business. So you guys are not just talking about this. You're actually investing real hard hard cash into kind of making this work. I mean, a, a million pounds invested. It's a million dollars, oh, Nathan, over three years. Million but, you dollars. Know, we, yeah, we've set, you know, we've set up the timesheet codes for it, you know, so we're going to measure it as well. And, um, you know, I think we have been um, really impressed at the depth of of the impact of this and then the the applicants we've had. And I can't wait to see some of the results. It, it, it's really fascinating to to see that. Is the business at some point looking to get a, a return from that from that investment? I mean, a lot of a lot of you know people listening to this would would think some somewhat cynically maybe um, about the the you know where this money goes and is there going to be a return from this? Are you, are you guys looking at this as a purely um, you know, let's do this for the for the good of the world and for the good of our employees because this is what they want to do. How are you looking at sort of getting a return from that? We haven't. I mean, I've never sat down and done a return on this. So, you know, we just see it as such a top priority that our response was to think, how can we make a difference? And the way we felt as an agency we could make a difference was to, you know, do it in this way. And the we haven't really, I mean, to be honest with you, I haven't done a return on investment for it. We, we decided that's what we want to spend we believe it's the right thing to do and we are comfortable with you know those businesses making a difference in the world and, and getting a chance to you know succeed and we will make you know if, if the ones we've if the list we have if if all those businesses start it will make a difference in the world and that's probably enough return on investment um our people will feel already feeling happy and excited to be involved so it you know those things are good enough and as i said to you um I don't think we have a choice. I think it is really important to 
to to focus on this area and to put serious time and effort behind it. Last question, Adrian, before we get into our favorite questions at the end of the show that we ask all of our guests, as I'm sure that you know, um, there are a lot of agencies out there that are looking for alternative ways to reward employees, uh, you know, for a good for a job well done, aside from financial rewards and, and, and remuneration. What other ways have you found to be successful over your time, not only at Hotwire, but other other businesses as well, about non-financial ways to remunerate employees for a job well done? This is going to sound really silly, but it's the sort of small things. Um, I'll give you an example. I occasionally award an Adrian £10 meal deal. Now, that's financial, <laughs> Nathan, but but you would not believe the response I have had just for a £10, people saying, you know, on a Friday afternoon, um, which, you know, depending where you buy your wine, will get you one bottle or two. And <laughs> so, you know, some people... Some people have written to me and going, thanks, you know, here's a photograph of my Deliveroo. Now, I didn't think £10 would have an impact, but actually it's deeper than that. People are just saying, oh, thank you. You know, on a Friday afternoon, you've thought, um, you know, a takeaway will give me a little boost. So I think first thing for me would be it doesn't always have to be a lot of money. Um, Saying thank you, um, unbelievably, just in these difficult times where we've all gone remote, um, I set out a year ago, I didn't succeed, but I decided I would phone every single person who worked in Hotwire um, for five minutes and have a chat. And I got to 100 people on my workload, but just those conversations. So in fact, I'll probably say it to you, it's quite hard to answer it. It's, it's actually the little things that make a much bigger impact than you think. And a leader saying thank you and recognizing the effort people have made. And you know, Nathan, when I call people, I saw a hundred people sitting in bedrooms all around the world who had moved back with their parents who had had a really tough time. And, you know, I think the context of the last few years has been as leaders, you've got to think about the way you're approaching leading your team and connection and smaller things actually mean a lot more nowadays. Mm. You were actually going to call 300 plus people in the company one-on-one. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, even though you only got around to a hundred in the end, but there there aren't many other leaders that I think think in that way. Yeah, I'm slightly mad as you probably worked out already, but I think it was interesting. Let's get into everyone's favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm super excited to ask you some of them as well. The more personal questions, get to know Adrian sort of questions a little bit more. Hopefully these are questions people haven't already asked you. So there are some sure. some new answers in here. Uh, first one, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from that experience. It was my first, um, my first finance director role. So you probably picked up, I was an auditor for quite a long time. And then around 2000, I was, um, put into Rapture television. We were, uh, um, Rapture was a, a, a channel on Sky, um, broadcasting, clubbing, programming and free sports. And if you recall, you're maybe not old enough, Nathan, but that was the time of the internet when every business had multiples of 20. So Adrian was sitting at the bar in the Ministry of Sound, not at two in the morning, but at nine in the morning, trying to sell Rapture to to, to buyers. And the business um, suddenly within a few months um, ran out of cash. And I was sitting, taking the business through a creditor's voluntary arrangement. And I very quickly learned the power of cash and cash being the truth in a business. And an accountant would say this to you, but it's lived with me ever since. And so I failed to sell the business. 
um, part of the team trying to do that. But I succeeded in learning the power of cash and to always keep a, a strong eye on it. Good lesson to take away with you. Um, the mentors question, what mentors have been most instrumental in the way that you think about business um, and growth and agency growth? Yeah, tell us about some of your favorite mentors. I've had quite a few. I mean, I, I, some of them know their know their mentor me and some don't. I mean, um, Bob Leaf, who recently passed away and bless his soul, Bob was Burson Marsteller's first ever um, graduate recruit in 1956 or something. And I became friends with Bob when he was 70 and he helped to grow Burson to be, you know, the top agency in the world. And um, Bob, um, you know, it was really fascinating to have had a career traveling the world with his wife, opening offices, and he's got a really good book about it. He inspired me and really connected me. Um, I also asked Lord Watson when I was working in Burson. I used to look after his clients and expenses and um, asked him to be my mentor. He was flattered and he would take me to tea in the House of Lords. Um, Charles Gregson, who was um, very senior in United Business Media, remains a, a contact to today, a very inspiring person um, to meet and very supportive. So I think, um, you know, some of them know they're my mentors and some don't. <laughs> but um, it, I think it's good to get a wide number of people to, to support you through your career. Yeah, well said. I, yeah, I actually learn from more people that aren't don't know they're they're actually my mentors than than the actual formal mentors. Really interesting. Um, what's the most important thing that people don't know about your background? Um, probably, I mean, maybe I'll probably give you two things. I'm a German speaker. Um, you know, when I was young, I always loved German, and I paced my bedroom floor learning vocabulary and grammar. And you know, I've I've managed to keep a German business through most of my career. So I still go across to Germany now. I'm very comfortable at client events. I have spoken at events in Germany. So I really enjoy that aspect of, of my career and the different insight it gives to me. And the German team accept me. You know, they sent me Christmas presents that only the German team get. They invite me to do different things. And I'm very flattered they do that. Um, the other one, Nathan, is I grew up on a dairy farm. So um, should a pregnant cow come in right now while we're talking, <laughs> I would be able to help deliver the calf. Um, I know it's unlikely, but um, two um, two random skills that are useful in different contexts. You never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> when you need to birth the calf. Um, really <laughs> fascinating. Um, tell us about some of your favorite books, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Yeah, so anything by Tim Ferriss, I think um, his thinking, his books, Tools of Titans, um, mm -hmm. Tribes of Mentors, I just think is really fascinating. The people he also interviews on his podcast. And I'll give you a couple of others. Alex Ferguson wrote a really interesting book about leading with Michael Moritz. And there's a recent one by Ben Fennell, who was the CEO at BBH in my time with Will Greenwood on world-class comparing business and the England rugby team from 2003 and what lessons you can learn. Um, all of those will, you know, I've learned a lot from all of those books. Some some great recommendations there. What what book do you tend to go back to time and time again? Business book. I really like the, uh, I don't know what it was, but Jack Welch um, wrote a really good book about um, GE and, and the five E's. I wish I could remember them, but one of them included execution, which we talked about earlier today. Edge was another word. So people that have got edge, execution. And if you look for those five E's, I just find it a really interesting way of thinking about people. Hmm. Love that. I know that you're a huge podcast fan as well. What what podcasts do you listen to? Do you frequent, aside from Agency Deal Masters, which is obviously at the top of the list? Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 
Well, I mean, Tan, I mean, I opened my phone. So I, in the mornings, obviously, you're top of the list, Nathan. But um, thank you. So, you know, so I put you in the, you know, keeping up to date with the, the industry bracket. Great. There's also Soda, Soda Jerker, which is for music. They've been interviewing creative songwriters. That's really interesting. There's a German one I listen to. There's the Tim Ferriss show. I just think there's so much available that, um, you know, you can really learn so much now that was not available 20 years ago. It's incredible. <sighs> really is. Podcasts are great. Just getting access to really senior people and getting just learning their philosophies and how they live their lives. It's just... Yeah, we're living in a great information age, to be honest. Um, last couple of questions, and then I'll, I'll let you go. What ideas, behaviors, or ha habits have you added or removed from your life in the last three to five years that have improved your outcomes? Well, this is going to sound a repeat, but it's a combination of an exercise bicycle and podcasts. So um, I think the, you know, getting onto my bike at home, I've never been a massive physical, you know, person doing a lot of exercise, doing a lot of music. But um, it's not quite therapeutic to select agency deal master, oh, get on my bike amazing. for about 40 minutes, and I think just to be lost in, in your world and your, your smooth tones. Oh, stop. I just think, you know, it's a form of, well, it's no, a continue. Form, of form of meditation, you know. <laughs> but it, I think it's really good. You, you know, you learn stuff and you get fit at the same time. It's sort of win-win kind of territory. Love that. Love that. Is it the Peloton you've gone for or something else? No, I don't have that much. I, I wouldn't invest that much, but it's good enough to give me a you know twenty minute workout. It does the same job, right? Um, what advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in a technology agency? Well, we have um, we have a mantra at Hotwire called "behaving famously." That's what I'm doing on this podcast, by the way, Nathan. Um, <laughs> so you know, just get out there in the world. Uh, get out there in the world. Um, have a point of view, be different. So I think for young people today, you will not succeed or get into an agency unless you have a social media presence, unless you're good on TikTok, unless you have ideas, unless you're writing. You just need to already be doing it. And that's quite difficult. But the marketplace for young people is so much more competitive that uh, behave famously would be my advice. Mm. What do you do for fun when you're not running agencies? Yeah, I mean, I, it's all music. So, you know, I'm, um, I've always been a pianist. I actually play organ in the local church as well. I'm a, you know, amateur organist. And I sing bass with the City of London Choir. So we just had our concert last week, which is my first one in a couple of years. So quite inspiring to sing alongside some of the very talented singers there. Love that. And my final question, Adrian, what is it you know about growing an agency business today that you wish you knew at the start of your career? Would it surprise you, Nathan, if I said culture? <laughs> you know, I think um, I, th I think just you know maybe um, I think it's more that I didn't realize that you know I was working, let's say, in a good culture or a bad one, and it was only on reflection that I thought, oh, hang on a second, you know, there is a reason Barcelona Marsteller became the biggest agency in the world. There's a reason BBH became so successful, and there is a reason that Hotwire is. It's all culture. Mm, love that. Great place to end, Adrian. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been an honour. Lovely to see you, Nathan. We have been speaking with Adrian Talbot. He is currently the CFO of Hotwire. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 150 such conversations we've had with world-class 
agency leaders. Thank you for all of your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com. We would be unable to do this show without our very own dealmasters. Tyler Bala is our booker. Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. Masters.